Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. I got a text from Gary last night, like about 4 o'clock in the morning, which is 7 o'clock where he is, and he said to me, tomorrow's Tisha B'Av, and it might be a good idea if you mention something about it. So I saw the text, like, Whenever I got up and I was coming here, and I thought, yeah, it's probably true. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. It's a very solemn day of mourning in the Jewish faith. And Tisha B'Av mainly commemorates two events. The first destruction of the temple and the second destruction of the temple. According to Jewish tradition, both temples were destroyed on the same day. And this day, starting tonight till tomorrow, Tisha B'Av, is a day that there's remembrance of that event. People uh, mostly fast, just like with Yom Kippur. Uh, You're not allowed to have any celebrations. There's no birthday celebrations. There's no weddings. There's no bar mitzvahs. Nothing very joyful happens on Tisha B'Av because it's a day of mourning. Over the centuries, the rabbis have determined that there are several other events that happened on this day. Are they true or not? I don't really know, because the calendars go back so far. For example, one of the things that is supposed to have happened in addition to the temple destruction on this day is that Tisha B'Av is traditionally the day that the 12 spies went into the land to spy it out and came back and gave a bad report. That's what traditionally this is the day. It's also the day that the Bar Kokhva rebellion was put down. Bar Kokhva, son of the star, was proclaimed to be the Messiah, and it caused a big uproar and rebellion in the city of Betah in Israel. And the Romans came and crushed that rebellion, and it's reported that up to half a million people were killed during that rebellion. And that is supposed to also have happened on this day. Going back in history again, it's supposed to be the day that Aaron made the golden calf. Uh, As you know, that didn't really turn out that good. So it was another sad event. It's it's supposed to be the day that the first crusade began. Again, not a pleasant memory. It's the day that the Jewish people were expelled from Spain. Spain. It's also the day they were expelled from France. Also the day they were expelled from England. Uh, During World War II, this day was supposed to be the day that Himmler received the final approval to begin 
the final solution to the Jewish problem in Germany. Uh, it's also the day that the Jewish people that were held captive in the Warsaw Ghetto were deported to the camps. It was a day that the Germans stormed that ghetto and started to send everybody out into the camps. So as you can see, there's nothing good associated with this day. If some things happened on the actual day or not, there's certainly enough verifiable bad events that we know happened on Tisha B'Av. And again, to this day, it's just a terrible day of mourning. And I thought of this passage this morning, just a few verses from uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew writes this, At that time, the Messiah went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat or for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law about how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you know what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They confront him about keeping the law. They confront him about temple worship. And what does he say? He said, I'm telling you something. Something greater than the temple is here. The Messiah himself. And I think on this day, a sad day of mourning, there's still a hint of light. For us as believers, there's a very bright light. But even though we mourn the destruction of the temple, someone greater has come. People used to go to the temple in Jerusalem to bring their sacrifices, to be cleansed from their sin, and to meet with God. And now someone greater has come, the Messiah. We go to the Messiah We have our sins cleansed in him, and we go to meet God through him. He's the one that opens up the chamber into the presence of God himself. So as sad as today is, there is a light, and the light is the Messiah. And I just want to pray for the many Jewish people who will be mourning over the next 25 hours and and pray that the Spirit of God would show them that as dark as the day is, There is a bright light in that day. Father, thank you so much that we know the Messiah. We thank you that the Spirit of God has opened our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, the truth of who he is, and that we are able to come to him to realize the great work he has done, the cleansing of sin, and how he opens the doors of heaven itself for us. I pray for the many Jewish people who are in mourning today, genuine mourning, for real events that should be mourned. But I pray, too, that the Spirit of God would open their hearts and their mind to know that as sad as the day is, as dark as the night is, there is a bright light, and it is Yeshua, the Messiah himself. And I pray that the Spirit of God would open their hearts to this truth. And I ask in the name of our great Messiah. Amen. This morning... 
I'd like to tell you a story. I used to say it's one of my favorites, but I realized I was saying that about every single story, so I stopped saying it. But the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I did a lot of research and homework on this story. And one of the things that you find out about this story is that almost every single person that speaks about Abraham and Isaac speaks about Abraham. People talk about the great faith of Abraham, the obedience of Abraham, the sacrifice of Abraham. You never hear anybody talking about poor Isaac. And I thought, humanly speaking, if Isaac was among us today, he would feel shortchanged. Why does everybody talk about Abraham and nobody talks about him? And so I thought it would be only fair to tell the story from the perspective of Isaac. Second thing about this story that makes it very unusual is that it involves the idea of child sacrifice. Uh, generally speaking, in the world we live in today, child sacrifice is frowned upon. And it really wasn't until the birth of my boys and they grew up and became teenagers that I began to understand the wisdom of this concept. (laughs) And I remember on a particularly special day, I went to my wife and I said to her, It's in the Bible. (laughs) Maybe it's a possibility. But, you know, to be honest, it was her lack of faith that prevented us from going down that road. But it's a strange idea, isn't it? I mean, if I had to describe God in only one word, it would have to be that he's a God of love. I think that's the very essence of God. And yet, on one hand, we have a God of love who, on the other hand, is asking not just a follower, but an obedient follower to sacrifice his only son. And sometimes it's hard to put these two concepts together. So this morning, I hope that through the telling of this story, we'll have a better idea of why such a thing occurred. This story is called, Don't Talk to Me about sacrifice. And it's the story of Isaac. There's a song, and every time I hear it, it reminds me of my mountaintop experience. Also reminds me of what a Dylan fan my father is. You know, Bob Dylan, whose real name is Robert Zimmerman, he's become my father's favorite musical descendant. Can't tell you how many times I've heard Dylan tunes coming out of his heavenly tent. (laughs) And if it's a really good day, Dad even thinks he is Bob. He stands out in front of his tent. The answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. I know. I can't really have the heart to tell him how he sounds. He has such a good time. And Sorry. Talking to all of you like you know who my father is. If you don't know who my father is, you're never going to know who I am. My dad is Abraham. You know, the Abraham. And I'm his son. The only one, Isaac. 
I would bet all of you here this morning that out of everybody in the whole Old Covenant, my father is probably the best known. There's been so many things written about him, and over the last several thousand years, I've managed to read every single word. But if you ask me to sum up my dad in one sentence, I'd have to pick the verse that's written about him in the New Covenant. You know, the verse where Paul writes this, And Abraham is the father of all those who walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. Our father Abraham. That's what Paul calls him. And I certainly agree, he deserves the title. But if you call my dad the father of the faith, don't you think it's only fair people would call me the son of the faith? I mean, after all, It was me who was on the cutting edge of the faith, you know, under the knife, so to speak. Why do people always talk about my dad? Why don't you ever hear people talking about me? You know, from the very beginning, before the beginning of my life, God was involved with me. One day, he himself came to my soon-to-be parents, told them they were going to have a son. What do you think my parents said when they heard that great news? Oh, Todarabah, thank you very much. No. They laughed, the both of them, which is how I got my name. Isaac, Yitzchak, he laughs. How would you like to go through life with a name like he laughs? He laughs, dinner time, he laughs. I told you don't play so far from that tent. Come in just a little bit. Every time one of my parents called me, the whole neighborhood was reminded about their little lapse of faith. And in our house, faith was an important word. It was more than just a word. It was the beginning of the story of my family. You see, one day dad was living up in Haran when God came and spoke to him told dad he wanted him to go to this land, a new land, a land that my father did not even know. And by faith, he gets up and goes. Now when he got there, God spoke to him a second time. He told him he was going to have more children and there were stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Now at the time, dad had only one son, Ishmael who was not even the son of his wife. But because dad believed him, God changed his name. He used to be called Abram, the exalted father. But when he came to believe God would give him all these children, his name was changed to Abraham, the father of a multitude. And all of this happened by faith. Now, it was exactly one year after that promise was made by God that I was born. And from the second I made my entrance, I was the favorite child, especially of my mother. Now, there are some Bible teachers around today that will try to convince you that I was spoiled as a kid. That is absolutely untrue not going to tell you that being called the miracle kid didn't have any effect on me, though. You know, I mean, 
Both my parents were way too old to have children. And whenever anybody saw me, they always said the same thing. Hey, miracle kid, how are you? <laughs> but it's not my special birth that people remember me for. You know, it sticks in the minds of most people when they hear my name. Remember the time my father almost sacrificed me. That's what people remember. I know. Some of you might think that's a controversial idea and a little strange. Should have been there the first day that my mother heard about it. <laughs> that was quite a day. <laughs> it's probably the best way to begin telling you the story would be the way that Moses himself chose. And Moses wrote this. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. You like that verse? God tested Abraham. Doesn't say anything about me getting tested. It's Abraham who gets tested. God told him that he was to take me and bring me to this place called Moriah. Now, the first time I heard that word, it sounded strange to me. But since then, this has become a well-known place to everyone who studies the scriptures. First, and I think very important, is just the fact that I myself have been to this mountain. I think it makes it special. Not as special to you, huh? Okay. Second thing that happened at this mountain. The writer of Chronicles wrote this. And Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David. Two special events that happened at this mountain. And there's even more. There was a... Save that for a little bit later in the story. Going to this mountain, that was one thing. What my father planned to do when we got there was a whole different story. God told him that he was to take me and offer me as a sacrifice on the top of that mountain. Now, I don't know exactly where I was when God and my father were working out the little plan. But if I had any idea what it was, I never would have wanted to go. <laughs> Who knew? Moses continues the story by writing this. And early the next morning, Abraham got up. Think you would mention that I got up? Huh? I mean, I am not a morning person. And for me to get up early, it is a very big sacrifice. And you would think that I would get half a verse. Nothing. Abraham gets up. He comes into the tent where I'm sleeping. Isaac, Isaac, get up. We're going on a little trip. <clears throat> trip. <clears throat> what kind of trip, Dad? Hey, it's still dark outside. Shh. Don't wake up your mother. What's the big deal, Dad? We're going on a trip and now it's secret and I don't even know where we're going. Shh. Hurry up. Uh, Dad, would you mind if I uh, grabbed a bagel or something before we took off? I get up, get dressed, 
come out of the tent and there's my father all ready to go on his trip. Two of his servants are with him. A donkey that is fully loaded with supplies. And dad gets a little group together and off we go to Mount Moriah. Almost. Because it was at that time that my mom did wake up. And one of the things my mother is known for, especially at that time of day, is being a very fast talker. And when she got up and saw my father, she said to him, Abby? That's what she called him, Abby. Abby, where do you think you're going? You're not killing me for the four kings anymore. I get up and I don't even know where you're going. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Dad, he says nothing. And then mom saw me. What do you think that boy does? He's going on a crazy little trip. I don't even know. He doesn't have a sweater. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have anything. I don't even know where he's ready to go. And do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? And dad, he still says nothing. Now, it wasn't often that my parents would have a disagreement. I mean, a big disagreement. But I could tell that this discussion had the potential to become one of the biggest. And finally, Dad spoke. Sarah, there's something that I must do, and the boy must come with me. Just trust me. We will be gone for one week, and then we'll return to you. And that, as they say, was that. Little caravan got together, and off we went to Mount Moriah. Now, from our home in Beersheba to this mountain was a three-day journey, 60 miles. And from the second we left our tent until the second we got to that mountain, I talked constantly. I was so excited. I mean, I never went anywhere. Both of my boys, Jacob and Esau, have been more places than me. For me, going to this mountain was an exciting adventure. I didn't realize how exciting it was going to be, but I was really excited to be going someplace. Three days, 60 miles. And the afternoon of the third day, we started to draw close to that mountain. And the closer we got, the more my father rushed us on. Until that night, we camped at the foot of Mount Moriah. Next morning, Dad got up and made something for us to eat. And he called the servants over to him. Isaac and I are going to go up this mountain and worship God. And when we finish, we will return to you. Then my dad took some wood that he had cut, gave it to me to carry. And he grabbed the fire was a small burning ember that we carried with us. And he took a knife, a big knife. And we started to climb up that mountain. Now, a lot of people have written about this part of my life, the climbing of the mountain. And one rabbi wrote this. Like one who carries on his own shoulder the stake upon which he is to be executed... So was Isaac as he carried the wood up that mountain. Was that true or what? (laughs) You talk about the sacrificial lamb. And people always ask me about that. And they always ask the same two questions. Isaac, how did it feel when you were going up that mountain? How could you have been so brave? How did it feel when I was climbing that mountain? 
I was climbing a mountain. How else could it feel? I had no idea that the wood I'm carrying is the same wood my father planned to burn me on. Very easy to be brave as we climb that mountain. However, I did notice something. You know, around our tent, the sacrifice was not an unusual experience. And one of the things I've learned about having a sacrifice is that it's crucial that you actually have something to sacrifice. And as we climb this mountain, we seem to be missing a very important item. I took a quick inventory. Wood, check. Fire, check. Knife. That was a big knife. Check. Sacrifice? Hmm. No check. Well, that might be a problem. So I decided to ask Dad. Uh, Dad, I noticed that I brought the wood so that we could burn the sacrifice and you have the fire to light the wood for the sacrifice and you brought the big knife to kill the sacrifice. Have you happened to notice we don't seem to have any sacrifice? Dad looked at me like he never did before. And he said, God himself will provide the sacrifice. God will give us exactly what we need. That was the first time I realized this was not going to be an ordinary sacrifice. But I didn't have much time to think about it. Because by that time we had reached the top of the mountain and when we did, my father seemed to know exactly where he was going. He put some stones together to build an altar. It took him no time And then he looked at me. Isaac, bring me that wood. I brought the wood over to dad and he took it. And he started to put it out on the altar. Piece by piece. I had never seen my father do that before. And when all the wood was out on the altar, he stepped back and he rearranged the wood and he stepped back and rearranged it again. And finally he seemed satisfied. And he looked at me the second time. Isaac, climb up on this wood. Excuse me? (laughs) I came over and I sat down. And the second I did, my dad started to tie me up. Tied up my hands and he tied up my feet. And in two minutes, I am lying bound head to foot on this altar. Now, over time, this action of my father has become known as the akeda, the binding, the binding of Isaac. And I remember as I lay on that altar, very specifically thinking, I'm in a real bind. (laughs) The akeda. People make it sound like some kind of official action or something. But to me, It was my dad. And he had tied me up to sacrifice me. My thoughts turned to my brother Ishmael. Now, when we were kids, we really didn't get along that well together. But I remember thinking, if there ever was a good time for him to show up, this was it. But he never came. And it was just dad and I alone on that mountain. The last thing I saw before I closed my eyes was the sun reflecting off the knife that my father held in his hand. And I closed my eyes 
And I lay on that altar for an eternity. And it was then we heard the voice. Abraham! Abraham! To which my father answers in his typical fashion, Here I am! And then, there was a very pregnant pause. And as I lay on that altar, my ears were almost coming off my head. Because I had a vested interest in the outcome of this conversation. (laughs) And finally the voice spoke the second time. And he said, do not lay a hand on that boy. Don't you touch him. Because now I know that you fear God. And as I lay on the altar, I opened my eyes. And once again... The world seemed like a friendly place. Dad didn't speak. He just came over to the altar and he untied me and he lifted me off. And he held me so tight that I thought I was going to pass out. And while he held me, we heard a noise over in the bushes. And I looked over and saw a ram that was caught by its horn. Now, up until that time in my life, I had never realized what a beautiful creature a ram actually is. This was one of the nicest animals I had ever seen. Dad still doesn't speak. He went over to that ram and he tied him up with the same cord that he had used on me. And he brought him back over to the altar and there he sacrificed him. And we watched as the smoke went up into heaven. And when it did, the voice spoke for the third time. Because you are willing to sacrifice your only son, I'm going to give you more children than there are stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. You will possess the gates of the cities of your enemies. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I myself will curse. And it will be through you that every family on earth will receive a blessing. We heard those words and we just fell down on our faces and we worshiped God. And when we finished, we went back down that mountain and we went home to Beersheba. And the whole way home, I made sure that my dad stayed just a little bit in front of me just in case he had any other plans for this trip that I didn't know about. (laughs) I'll tell you, of all the things that happened in my life, this was the most unusual. I'll tell you the truth, too. For the life of me, when my father and I were alone on that mountain, I couldn't figure out why God would let something like that happen. And to be more accurate, why did God command for this to happen? I've had a long time to think about it, and I finally come to understand a few things. The first is this whole idea about the resurrection of the dead. Do you know that there are people living even in this day who still do not believe in the resurrection of the dead? 
They always say some variation of the same thing. You know, uh, a person is born and they live their life and they die. And once you die, that's the end of it. That kind of talk drives me crazy. How in the world do you think my father could have been willing to do what he did if he did not believe in the resurrection of the dead? And as a matter of fact, that's what the writer says about him in the book of Hebrews. He writes, By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son, even though all his descendants were promised to come through him, because he knew if it was necessary that God would raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. Resurrection of the dead. There's nobody who believes that more than my father. But there's a second reason, maybe an even more important reason. I've come to see that God commanded this to happen so that he could give the world a picture. A picture of a father who had such great love that he was willing to sacrifice his only son in order to prove it. Father whose love was so deep that he took the one that he valued most in the universe and he gave him up so that no one could ever question the depths of his love. It was almost 2,000 years ago that my most famous descendant of all The Messiah himself climbed that same mountain range. But when he got to the top, there was no ram there to save him. He gave his life. But like me, his story didn't end on top of that mountain. He came back from that mountain. He came back from the dead. Not figuratively, but literally. Just so he could complete the picture for the world. The picture of the father who had such great love that he was willing to sacrifice his only son in order to prove it. The father whose love was so deep that he took the one that he valued most in the universe and he gave him up so that no one could ever question the depths of his love. You know, so many times over the years I used to wonder... If I knew what dad's plans were, would I have been willing to go to that mountain with him? I'll tell you the truth. I'd do it again in a minute. To have just the ability to have a small part to play in the picture of the love God has for the world, what greater thing could I have done? And when I think about all of those events, what? Yeah, I'm in the middle of something. No, I... He went about an hour. I haven't seen him. He's... No. Sorry. It's my mom. Ever since a little trip dad and I went on, she does not like it when both both of us are out of the sight at the same time. So, mom, I'm fine. Yeah, listen, I'm near the... Yes, it's... Mom, it's the end. Listen, I'm sorry. You know, this is not your life, it's my life. And unless I actually go and talk to her, she's going to drive us all nuts. So let me leave you with a thought. A promise, really. I can promise all of you here that have placed your faith in Yeshua the Messiah, we're going to all have an opportunity to see each other again. 
And it's going to be in the world that's to come after this one. Shalom. Coming, Mom. Coming. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.